Good morning, good abend, que pasa mi amigos, me llamo Wendell Wallace, standing amongst the tallest, here to talk about a podcast named Wendell's World in Sports, a show talking about what is happening on the basketball of courts, the football of fields, to reveal my thoughts and opinions and other worldly dimensions about what is happening in the everyday of college basketball, my Georgetown Hoyas, and the NBA, to talk about who's doing poorly, who's doing well in college football and the NFL for Monsieur's. And my Mapplesells. Born and raised from the metropolitan area of Washington, D.C. and Montgomery County, M.D., this skillful sports talker MC will take you on a sports field expedition that will leave you with no other decision than to make listening to Wendell's World in Sports the Podcast your main mission. Treasure the pleasure together as I discuss the important sports topics that are a must and crush and destroy it like the New England Patriots or Pittsburgh Steelers pass rush. TJ, watch out for the next episode and make sure you download, subscribe with great pride so people will highly rate along with giving great reviews to create clues for people to follow so this podcast can remain the king like LeBron through yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. As always, good morning, good abend, bonjour, bonsoir, que pasa mi amigos, shalom, wassalam alaikum, namaste, konnichiwa, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports before I get into what happened over the All-Star weekend before I get into what's happening moving forward in the Eastern and Western conferences of the NBA before I get into some of the off-season stuff with the NFL before I get into all of that stuff I just need to ask you one single solitary question what is happening what is going on my man you doing all right you doing everything that you need to do to uh, make your world, to make your block, to make your space, to make your household, to make your place of employment a better place to be through love, peace, unity, understanding, listening. Shut up. Shut up. Listen to those of a different race, of a different gender, of a different financial background, different side of the globe, different side of the track. Someone who might worship a different God than you, someone of a different political background than you. Someone who might worship a different God than you if they worship a God at all. Are you listening to these people, learning, educating themselves, showing them unity, respect, and then taking that education that they got for those people, moving it down to pass it along to your children so they can pass it along to their children? Stereotypes, all that type of ignorance, all that type of racism destroyed by actually listening and learning and finding out what's real amongst people who might not be the same as you? Are we are we doing that? Are we opening up our minds? Are we opening up our brains? Are we going to be doing that? Not for my generation, not for your generation before or after. Too late for us. Too late for my generation. Part of the problem is me. 
I'm too ignorant, too selfish, too racist, too narrow-minded, too old to make the change that I want to make to live in a society that's truly utopian, where we're based on who we are as human beings, what's in our hearts, our moral fiber and character and such, not anything else. Too late for us, but man, let's leave the legacy for our children. So 15, 20, 40, 60 years from now, when our great-great-grandchildren are in 10th grade and they're taking U.S. government and they're taking world history and they're taking history, government in general, we go ahead and we speak about what happened in the 1990s and 2015 and 2018 and, of course, 2020 and 2021 and 2022. Our great-great-grandchildren could take a look at that history and take a look at each other and say, are you going to try to tell me those people had those ignorant thoughts when it came to Hispanics, when it came to gays, when it came to African-Americans, black, when it came to his, uh, Asians and such? Are you going to try to tell me when it came to women? Are you going to try to tell me that women and Asians and black were actually treated with such disrespect and ignorance and had those ignorant stereotypes back in the year 2021 and 2022 moving forward? Are you serious? That was actually a world like that? Woo! Glad I ain't part of that nonsense. I'm glad that you know what? The stereotypes and the ignorance of those who are black, those who are Asian, those who are Hispanic, those who are gay, those who are lesbian, those who are uh, practicing this religion, those who are from this political affiliation. I'm glad that I don't have those same ignorant, stereotypical, nonsensical, discriminatory thoughts and feelings now that they had back then. Let's see what we can do to get the next generation and the next generation to that level because I would hate to see them live their lives in the society where we lived ours. So let's make it better for each and everybody moving forward. Wendell's World and Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Okay, with that out of the way, I just want to speak about what I'm going to be talking about today. Let's just start first with the um, NBA All-Star Game. Now, normally when it comes to the All-Star Game, I don't usually watch the particulars of the Slam Dunk Contest. I don't watch the skills competition. I definitely don't watch the celebrity game. God bless them. Good for them. All that wonderful stuff for them. I just I haven't watched an NBA slam dunk contest, I think, since um, since Vince Carter was playing for the Toronto Raptors. I forgot what the All-Star game was when him and Tracy McGrady, also at that time playing for the Toronto Raptors, put on a show. So I haven't watched the All-Star game slam dunk contest uh, since then. But I do enjoy the uh, NBA All-Star Game more than any other All-Star Game, especially the NFL, which I haven't watched in I don't know how long. The Major League Baseball All-Star Game, which I haven't watched, I believe, in the past maybe four or five years. And I'm definitely not watching the entire uh, in, uh, Major League Baseball All-Star Game. I can barely get through a regular season baseball game. You're going to try to put me in front of a television and watch a exhibition game that's going to last over three hours on a Tuesday night? No, I don't think so. So the NBA All <clears throat> the NBA All Star Game, excuse me, the NBA All Star Game <clears throat> is my uh, choice when it comes to um, All Star Games. Oh yeah, I keep forgetting hockey is still a sport, but uh, yeah, I, I um, the NBA All Star Game is still my uh, choice <clears throat> of All Star Games to watch. Um, I enjoy the introduction, I enjoy the flavor, I just enjoy uh, the Afrocentric uh, type of feel that they put toward the NBA. I'm quite sure there's many folks. <clears throat> in this country who just can't stand the NBA and just can't stand the All-Star Game because it's almost like a celebration of black excellence in one form or another in multiple forms when you're not only seeing the athletes who are black and these guys are brands and they're doing great things for the community and they're taking care of their community and they're taking care 
of their families and they're doing everything that they need to do to be really good role models. Speaking of players like LeBron James and Steph Curry, I love the international flavor that the All-Star Game presents a, a, a mirror to what the NBA is when you're speaking about um, All-Stars, meaningful All-Stars, impactful All-Stars, great players from not just this country where basketball is supposed to be king, as far as the greatest players in the world are concerned. But when you're speaking about uh, Giannis Adenokupo, the two-time MVP who's playing like an MVP from another country, when you're speaking about the reigning MVP, Nikola Jokic, when you're speaking about uh, someone like a Joel Embiid, when you're speaking about a Luka Dantich, who who has the ability to be the next in line in terms of MJ and then LeBron or MJ and Kobe, then LeBron very strongly. The next guy who could take that torch could be Luka Dantich, another guy. So we have all of this wonderful international flavor and people and players from all over the globe and all these guys that come over and they play in the NBA from the outside looking in seem to be like really good guys and seem to be a really good representation of what the NBA is all about. And they seem to embrace the NBA and the direction in terms of, you know, the the recognition and the respect for the black community and for what the game of basketball has done for the black community more than any other sport, more than football, more than baseball, and of course more than hockey. I think the NBA really does a great job in its inclusion of everybody and recognizing everybody and especially putting the spotlight on the black community and some of the great things that they're doing. So the All-Star Game is almost like a situation where it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a celebration of not just the game itself, but also some of the other things from the community that these players come from in which they represent them. For me being a black man, a proud black man, always going to be a black man and proud, uh, so I'll say it loud like my name is James Brown. I really very much appreciate that, and it kind of gives me a tickle, kind of gives me a thrill, kind of gives me a thumbs up, kind of gives me a high five, kind of gives me a, oh yeah, when I know, when I see these strong, young, proud black men, and I see the interaction of players from all over the world, all over this country, and I know that there's a certain amount of people, too many people in this country, who are fixated on the race-baiting asshole losers that watch Fox News and other folks and listen to Aquan and all this other stuff that are just seething when they can't stand to see proud young black men like a LeBron James, like a Steph Curry speaking out, Chris Paul doing what he needs to do to get the word and get the message as far as injustice is concerned in his community. I, I love the fact that when they do this, if they're doing this, that a certain group of people in this country who are racist, who are ignorant, who don't know anything, who are soaked in privilege are just seething and they can't stand it. It just, it just makes me giggle. <laughs> And it absolutely tickles me inside to uh, see that. So the NBA All-Star Game is uh, something that I that I very much enjoy. Sometimes, sometimes the game sucks. Sometimes, like uh, last uh, night, as I'm recording this, what time is what time is it right now? Two thirty in the morning. Yeah, I'm gonna. Thank goodness I don't have to go to work tomorrow. But uh, watching the uh, game, sometimes the announcers just get on my last nerves, like Reggie Miller and Dwayne Wade were doing. But uh, other than that, enjoyed the three-point shooting barrage of Steph Curry. Enjoyed the last-minute um, theatrics and the last-minute uh, gamesmanship and the intensity that they showed as they were trying to uh, win the basketball game, money going to charities and such. So I think the NBA does a pretty good job for what the All-Star game is, basically an, an exhibition game. And me, you, and 
everybody that you know shouldn't be expecting these guys to be playing an NBA All-Star game like it's Game 7 of the NBA Championship, just like you don't expect and you shouldn't expect NFL player to be playing in the Pro Bowl like it's the last drive of the Super Bowl and just like the Major League Baseball All-Star game shouldn't be played like it's Game 7 of the World Series. So I very much enjoy the uh, NBA All-Star game and I even enjoy the festivities in terms of the uh, 75th All-Star game when you blend in the old with the new and it seems, again, when you're speaking about the character of these guys, the new breed, when you're speaking about LeBron and Kawhi and Carmelo and Shaq and, and these guys, the way they pay homage to such great legendary trailblazing players from the league, such as a, uh, not, 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 just, not just Michael Jordan, who's the king of all kings, but I'm speaking about guys like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I'm speaking about how they give such props and respect to uh, players like Bill Russell, who was unable to attend the game because of uh, the fear of COVID. But the way these current NBA players today recognize and respect players who made it for them in terms of Oscar Robertson, in terms of Jerry West, in terms of uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, in terms of uh, Bill Russell and and those type of players. It's nice to see. It's nice to see because everybody should learn their history. If you don't know your history, you don't know where you're going to be going in the future and you're bound to repeat the mistakes of the past. Just take a look at what's happening in this country. Let's just take a look at at uh, what's happening in the world to strengthen that uh, notion I just mentioned. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So there we go. The All-Star game was over. Nice festivities. All that was wonderful. Great. Now it's time in a few days. The NBA is going to take a little hiatus. Players can go ahead and relax. Go ahead and take care of personal business. Maybe take a little vacation in South Beach. Maybe go down to Cabo for a few days. Maybe find a beach somewhere and relax. Before, I guess it's what, Wednesday? A lot of these teams will probably report and then, uh, get back in the, get back into the uh, groove of things because the regular season for the NBA is going to begin on Thursday and full games start on Friday. So you're going to be taking a look at it around 24, 25 games left to go in the season when you're speaking about the All-Star game break, 58, 59 games have already been played. So taking a look currently at the Eastern Conference standings, man, you take a look at the Eastern Conference. In the next segment, I'll get into the Western Conference. But if I take a, when I take a look at the Eastern Conference, I'm taking a look at the uh, seedings right now. The Miami Heat, number one tied with the Chicago Bulls for the best record in the Eastern Conference, 38 wins, 21 losses. So they're the top two teams, Miami number one, Chicago, number two, the number three seeded Philadelphia 76ers yet to play with James Harden. They're sitting at third tied with two other teams with a record of 35 and 23. Same thing with the Cleveland Cavaliers who at number four, same record as the number five seeded Milwaukee Bucks. I'm sorry, Milwaukee is um, one game behind, excuse me, in terms of the uh, Philadelphia 76ers and the Cleveland Cavaliers, they're sitting there at 36 and 24. They're tied with the Boston Celtics, the surging Boston Celtics. I think before they lost to uh, Detroit, before the end of the uh, first part of the season or such like that, they had won like nine straight games in a row. They're sitting at 34 and 26. Another team that's surging in the Eastern Conference, the Toronto Raptors, 32 and 25. They're the number seven seed. The flailing Brooklyn Nets, 31 and 28. Kyrie only playing half the time, no KD, 
No word on when uh, Ben Simmons is going to be able to play. Eighth seeded, they're going to be 31-28 and 28 when the regular season resumes this later on this week. Number nine seed, Charlotte Hornets, 29-30. Number 10 seeded, Atlanta Hawks, 28-30. My Washington Wizards coming in at number 11, 27-31. The number 12 seeded, New York Tom Thibodeaux are at 25-34. and 34. The number 13, Indiana Pacers, 20-40. and 40. Number 14 seeded, Detroit Pistons, 13-45. And, and at the bottom of the barrel in the Eastern Conference, record-wise, are the Orlando Magic with a record of 13 and 47. For those who don't know, let me go ahead and explain something to you. The top six teams in each conference qualify for the playoffs, but teams selected seven through 10 in each conference will compete in a play-in tournament at the end of the regular season. So you're taking a look right now. The season ended today. It doesn't, but if it ended today, the play-in tournament for the Eastern Conference would have the Toronto Raptors, the Brooklyn Nets, the Charlotte Hornets, and the Atlanta, I almost said Falcons, and the Atlanta Hawks. So in the Western Conference, you're taking a look at that squad. You're taking a look at what's going on down there. You have the Phoenix Suns sitting at 48-10, the best record in the NBA, the Robert Scarver situation not affecting their win-loss, their professionalism at all. They just continue to roll the defending Western Conference champion, the number two-seeded, uh, Golden State Warriors are 42-17. and 17. Number three, Memphis Grizzlies. The surprising, the entertaining Memphis Grizzlies led by John Morant, 41-19. and 19. And Number four, seed in the Western Conference, flailing, flagelling Utah Jazz, 36-22. and 22. The number five seed, the Dallas Mavericks, they're at 35-24. and 24. Surging, playing some defense. Luka getting his thing together. The number six seed, Denver Nuggets. Nikola Jokic, brilliant performance so far during this season, playing without Jamal Murray, playing without Michael Porter Jr. They're sitting with a record of 33-25. and 25. The number seven seed, Minnesota Timberwolves, 31-28. and 28. Good showing by Carl Anthony Towns in the All-Star game yesterday. The number eight seed is the Los Angeles Clippers, 30-31. and 31. The number nine seed, Ah, yes, the number nine seed, the Los Angeles Lakers. Armando Vasquez's Los Angeles Lakers sitting there 27 and 31. The number 10 seed, Portland Trailblazers, 25 and 34. The number 11 seeded, New Orleans Pelicans, 30, uh, excuse me, 23 and 36. Number 12, same record, 23 and 36 are the San Antonio Spurs. The number 13 seed is Sacramento Kings, who are doing everything they can to try to get into the playing game, are sitting at number 13 with a 22-28 and 28 record. Number 14 and number 15, 14, the Oklahoma City Thunder with a record of 18-40. and 40. And the Young Pups down in Houston, Texas, the Houston Rockets, are at the bottom of the Western Conference currently with a 15 and 43 record. So as I mentioned before, just like the Eastern Conference, the first six teams qualify, seven through 10 in each conference. The Western Conference is going to play in a play-in tournament at the end of the season. So if the season ended today, the play-in tournament would consist of the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Los Angeles Clippers and Lakers, and your Portland Trailblazers. So with everything like that situated, let's go ahead and start talking about some um, let's go ahead and start talking about some storylines moving into the last part of the season for the Western Conference. I want to save that for the next segment. 
We can speak about the Phoenix Suns. We can speak about the Golden State Warriors. We can do all that. Just a, a spoiler. This is not a prediction. This is a spoiler. I'm going to be getting heavy into the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> I mean, what else is there, right? We got plenty of time to speak about Golden State and Phoenix and Utah and Memphis. And we got a lot of time. But, you know, what the Los Angeles Lakers are doing, what the Los Angeles Lakers are being criticized for, what Rob Palenka is being criticized for? Come on, man. You cannot be serious. I'll get into that in the next segment. But I'm going to concentrate on the uh, Eastern Conference and speak about some of those storylines. I guess we can start off with the biggest trade in the NBA, right? In recent years, when you're speaking about the trading of two all-star, two players at any period of stretch of the season could be top 15 players, James Harden, at any point of the season could be an MVP candidate for the past couple of years, Ben Simmons, one of the most uh, versatile NBA players, two-way players in the NBA being traded for each other. That doesn't happen all the time to two teams which have championship aspirations, title contending aspirations. So look, let's go ahead here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. Let's let's go ahead and, to, and, and, and get into that when you speak about the main storyline in the Eastern Conference. Basically, did the trades made by the Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets make them true contenders for the championship. just Not just for the conference championship, but also for the entire league. So we're speaking about if you're going to uh, win this championship, by all means, you're going to be going through. If you're the Philadelphia 76ers, if you're the Brooklyn Nets, man, you're going to be going, you got to get through the, you got to get through the Chicago Bulls. You got to get through the Miami Heat. You got to get through possibly the Boston Celtics. You got to get past the defending champions, Milwaukee Bucks. You got to get past the red hot defending Western Conference champion, Phoenix Suns. You got to get past the Golden State Warriors, possibly, maybe. You got to get past the Memphis Grizzlies. So there's a there's a uh, heavy toll up the mountain toward Championshipville, which you got to climb to uh, reach the pinnacle and grab that LOB. So if you're the Philadelphia 76ers, and I'll start off with them. The trade for James Harden, what type of contention does that put you in right now? Right now, not two years from now, not three years from now, when James Harden is 37 years old and making 60-something million dollars, and we don't know what's going to be the injury status of Joel Embiid. Let's just table that for a few years from now. But as of right now, could we speak about winners and losers of this trade? Who won the trade between the... Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers. I've always said before, said it in my last podcast, this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. The Philadelphia 76ers with this move might have, might win the sprint, but possibly, arguably, you could say that the Brooklyn Nets set themselves up for the marathon in terms of winning this trade between Simmons and James Harden. So if you take a look at what's going on, with the Philadelphia 76ers right now, currently in third place in the Eastern Conference, two and a half games behind Miami and Chicago, tied with Cleveland and Milwaukee for third. They're two games ahead of Boston, two and a half games ahead of Toronto, four and a half games ahead of Brooklyn. So you're just having a cluster bang right there of uh, teams in which Philadelphia is tied into, is woven into in terms of Who's going to be finishing in first? Who's going to be finishing in sixth? Who's going to be finishing finishing somewhere in between first and sixth? You got some really good teams. You got some strong teams. You've got some teams with championship aspirations. You got some teams that's already won a championship. You've got a team that's already made it 
to the NBA Finals over the recent uh, history. So a lot of uh, stuff going down. You have a, a young team in the Cleveland Cavaliers that's bouncy and big and effervescent and jubilant and young and all that gonna, all that, all that stuff. Uh, how's that going to tie in to them being true contenders in the Eastern Conference or being true rivals this season for the championship of the Eastern Conference with a team like the Philadelphia 76ers with their size uh, Jared Allen being there, Evan Mobley being there might be one of the teams that could somewhat put a speed bump, a little bit of a speed bump <clears throat> into the dominance of Joel Embiid when you speak about some of the big men that uh, Embiid might be going up against in the playoffs. So all of these things are laid out for the Philadelphia 76ers, which then lead to the question, exactly when is James Harden going to be playing? Right, because he still hadn't played yet. He was at the All-Star festivities. He was at the All-Star game this past weekend in Cleveland. Didn't play with a hamstring injury. He didn't play the last four games with Brooklyn due to his hamstring injury. And at his introductory uh, press conference with the Sixers last week, he said that he's progressing well with his recovery. He's been practicing on the uh, court with his new teammates over the past uh, few days before the all-star game so if we're thinking about a timetable we're speaking about a launching point or date when James Harden is going to make his debut for the uh, Philadelphia 76ers probably I would guess and reports are saying that likely it's going to be February 25th this upcoming Friday February 25th when the uh, 76ers play the Minnesota Timberwolves it'll be their first game back after the all-star break going to be on the road against the uh, Timberwolves and the likely landing point for James Harden home debut is going to come on March 2nd against the New York Julius Randles Timberwolves. So, you know, it's it's a situation where look, they're going to they're going to need James Harden, man. And they're going to need James Harden. They're going to need him uh very much so when you're speaking about. Let's just take a look here on Wendell's World of Sports. The podcast was yours truly, Wendell Wallace, doing the uh, pontificating and opinionating. When you take a look at what's going down with the Philadelphia 76ers, and you're going to be taking a look at the remaining 24 games that the Sixers have this season, you've got some important stretches of the season where it's going to determine whether the Philadelphia 76ers are truly going to regain or get close to or get one of the top two seeds in the Eastern Conference or a possibility where they could possibly be playing in the play-in game. If you take a look at some of their schedule uh, at the end uh, coming for the last uh, 24 games, when you're speaking about playing against Cleveland March 4th and then the next night going down to Miami and playing the uh, Miami Heat, then at home against the Chicago Bulls on March 7th and then going to Brooklyn for that uh, game, that anticipated contest between Ben Simmons, uh, Ben Simmons, um, Brooklyn Nets and James Harden's Philadelphia 76ers, even though we don't know quite yet exactly when Ben Simmons is going to be coming back to play. But you take a look at that stretch, man. Cleveland, March 4th, they're tied with them for a third place. You take a look at them. The next night they go down and have a road game against Miami, who right now is sitting atop first place in the Eastern Conference. Then at home, I guess another team that's tied for first place in the Eastern Conference, the Chicago Bulls, before making a way to a dangerous Brooklyn Nets team if they have Kevin Durant back, if they have Ben Simmons playing, and what type of 
playing shape is Ben Simmons going to be in? We don't know, but still, getting still, that's going to be a, an important game. That's going to be an emotional game for a lot of people on a lot of fronts. So that's the first stretch where Philadelphia is going to have an opportunity to either elevate or, de- or um, falter in terms of making their way toward a strong seed in the Eastern Conference. Then, speaking about more games of importance, Philadelphia is going to be playing at Cleveland March 16th at home against a surging, much better, improved Dallas Mavericks team on the 18th, a surging, improved Toronto Raptors team on the 20th, and then back to be playing a home game against the Miami Heat. Then they start a three-game stretch on the West Coast, starting March 23rd, where they play the Lakers, they play the Clippers, then they play the defending Western Conference champions on the 27th, the Phoenix Suns come back home, and then play the Milwaukee Bucks on the 29th. So basically, man, this is this is going to be something where we're going to find out exactly what's happening, what's going down with the Philadelphia 76ers. And the reason why I gave you that schedule and gave you those stretch of games and let you know that of, of the 24 games that Milwaukee's going to play down the stretch, that 15 of them are going to be either against playoff teams or teams with a record of over 500. It's the fact that, look, you need James Harden, and you need James Harden now. And we need to have this relationship, this on-court relationship of James Harden and Joel Embiid to be working right away. We, 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 can't, we, we can't sit there and wait five, six, seven games for these guys to mesh, for these guys to learn each other, for these guys to learn how to work with each other, for these guys to go through the ups and downs and the bumps and the bruises like a three-time loser, like my name was Teddy Pendergrass. Think I got to let it go because it looks like another Philadelphia losing TKO we can't have that moving forward man because the schedule is too is too daunting for them to have any stumbles so James Harden I don't know what type of shape he's in I don't know what his hamstring's going to be about if he's going to be playing on uh, Friday against the Timberwolves to start this to start this uh, journey toward the NBA championship and start this relationship with Joel Embiid but my man can't be sitting there at 55 60 percent not just as far as injury-wise is concerned, but also just as far as game-shape-wise is concerned. Now, I don't know in terms of, especially since he's missed so many games because of a hamstring injury, that A, he's going to have to make sure that his hamstring is going to be straight to get back out there and really be a contributor. And not only that, how many games is going to take James Harden to get into basketball playing shape? You don't miss as many games as he's done and then come back and play at a high level or the optimum level for the Philadelphia 76ers to need him to be to be able to conquer and overcome some of these daunting challenges that they have coming up when the season begins, when the season resumes uh, later on this week. So, man, they're going to need him. They're going to need him. I mean, Joel Embiid right now playing at an MVP level. I want to say this because, look, we Nikola Jokic last season, first at center to win the MVP since Shaquille O'Neal. So when I say this, I'm speaking about mainly in just physical dominance because the way the way the Nikola Jokic's brilliance and his fabulous play and what makes him one of the best players in the NBA, if not top one, two, three in the NBA, is the fact that Nikola Jokic isn't going to batter you. He's not going to bruise you. He's not going to beat you up. He's not going to physically dominate you. 
He is, his greatness is based upon his overall skill of the game, the fundamentals of the game, the footwork of the game, the thinking part of the game, his ability to pass from the low post, his ability to grab a rebound, bring the ball up and initiate the offense starting at the foul line or foul line extended. His, his ability to play in the low post, but to be creative with his post moves in terms of finesse, in terms of skill, the ability to shoot the three-point shot, not at a consistent level, but good enough to where the opposing center is going to have to go out to guard him, which sets up his dribble drive, which sets up opportunities to get past his man to set up scoring opportunities for himself or others on his team. So that's Nikola Jokic's brilliance. But at the end of the game, when Nikola has dropped, I don't know, 38 points, 15 rebounds, and 12 assists on your ass, you're not walking there limping. You're not walking bruised and bloodied and, and beat up. Joel Embiid is a different animal. Now, um, Joel Embiid has a high IQ in terms of his basketball playing. He has a myriad of skills for a big man, which has never been seen before, maybe outside of someone like Arvita Sabonis and a Nikola Jokic. But his ability to shoot the three-point shot, his ability to um, maneuver, take his game mid-range, take his game out to the take his game out to the 17, 18 feet top of the key type of deal, be able to put the ball on the floor, both with the left hand and right hand, driving left, driving right, his up and unders, his skill, his footwork is supreme. Of course, Joel Embiid has all those things in his chamber to fire. But man, when I say this, Joel Embiid, you mix that in to how big and strong and now physical that Joel Embiid is right now, I've said this before, and I said this for years, man. Joel Embiid is the most physically dominating player in the NBA if he ever wanted to be. If he ever got, if he ever got into that mindset and could stay injury-free enough to really put his body, to really initiate the physicality, there is nobody, nobody in the NBA that can stop Joel Embiid, to lead, which leads me to say that as of right now, what he's been doing this season, the fact that he's averaging 30 points a game, 11 rebounds per game. This is the most dominant season I think I've seen of a player, especially of someone of Joel Embiid's stature, since Shaquille O'Neal. When you're speaking about his overall dominance, not just from scoring rebounds and such, but also from a physical presence. Man, ask, uh, ask Serge Ibaka and ask Bobby Portis Jr. After that game before the All-Star break against Philadelphia, where Philadelphia came out and won 123-120, and then B put up 42 points on 14 or 21 shooting. <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me. And he had um <clears throat> he had 14 rebounds in 37 minutes. Ask those guys. Ask that Milwaukee team how it felt after having to uh, bang with Joel Embiid. <laughs> it's no it's no joke. It's not fun. And you're speaking about Going into a seven-game series of that type of physicality, if the game does go, or if the series does go six games or seven games, that opposing center who has taken a beating on an every-other-day basis from a Joel Embiid, how is he going to be standing up game seven of an Eastern Conference semifinals, finals, or NBA finals after having to deal with 32, 35, 38 minutes of Joel Embiid? Physically, it's going to be daunting. Physically, it's going to take its toll. So, <clears throat> for the Philadelphia 76ers, that's going to be the deal. And for James Harden, he's got to complement that very, very well. For him to complement that and get the uh, 76ers to where they need to be, he needs to be in much better shape 
both physically, mentally, and also as far as with the hamstring injury. Because the Joel Embiid, I think that the Philadelphia 70, or excuse me, the James Harden, in which the Philadelphia 76ers fans and the Philadelphia 76ers organization and the coaches and players, they're expecting James Harden to be that guy who at the very least is a top 10, top 12 player. But then maybe shooting for would be top seven, top eight. But if we can get him to anywhere between number nine and number 12 with the way Joel Embiid is playing, we'll take it. Because you already have a team, I think, in Philadelphia. If this works, the chemistry, the on-court cohesion works between Joel Embiid and James Harden, the players around him are good enough to win a championship for Philadelphia. If you're speaking about Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris, they're capable third and fourth key players offensively that can win a championship on a team. You're speaking about Danny Green while, yeah, in Chicago, he stunk up the joint. And yeah, when he went to the Lakers, <clears throat> three-point shooting-wise, he stunk up the joint. But um, this is also a guy who provides three-point shooting or the threat of being a three-point sniper when you put him on the floor. And while he's not the defender that he was in San Antonio, he can still provide <clears throat> 10, 12 minutes of some pretty good defense. And if you're speaking about defense, Matisse Thibel is a guy that can provide some excellent defense. George Niang, Fertan Kortmas is a guy or players for a quarter, <clears throat> maybe a half, who could be instrumental in what they're doing. Talk on it. <clears throat> what they're doing is, uh, as far as the, uh, uh, the game is concerned. So, <clears throat> yeah, the Philadelphia 76ers right now have the makings of a team that can win the NBA championship. Again, it's going to come down to how is the relationship between James Harden and Joel Embiid going to work and how quickly can they learn each other's games to make sure that <clears throat> make sure that Joel Embiid, Embiid continues to be comfortable and continues to be at the level that he is, which means that, hey, man, James Harden is going to have to be the one that's going to have to acquiesce some of the things that he's comfortable with. When you're speaking about a pick and roll, James Harden always likes a big man who can run to the rim, is a rim runner, throw lob passes. That's why Clint Capella got a big, fat, huge deal from the Atlanta Hawks because of the numbers that he put up in with his defense when he was playing with James Harden. Joel Embiid, Embiid is not a rim runner. If you're going to be doing a pick and roll with Embiid, Embiid is going to flare 15, 17 feet out on the uh, on the wing, catch the basketball, and then work its way there, being very deliberate with the basketball once he gets it, surveying the defense and such. So it's going to be a <clears throat> it's going to be a situation where no, we're not going to be asking Joel Embiid to roll to the rim there, James. That's not happening. You're going to have to realize that when you set that pick, if you don't have the advantage of doing something, that you're going to have to flare it out, pass it out to Joel Embiid, and you're going to let him do his thing. So it'll be interesting to see moving forward exactly what the dynamic is going to be and how this is going to work between James Harden and Joel Embiid, two high IQ players. I'm not thinking that they're going to uh, step on each other's toes and not make this work, but how proficient and how quickly can they get this going in a season that's quickly winding down them, the Philadelphia 76ers fighting for contention, <clears throat> playoff seed and, and playoff seeding. How well can they get this machine rolling and rolling well? Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us speaking about what is happening, what is going down in the NBA in the Eastern Conference. We spoke about the Philadelphia 76ers. Man, what about the Brooklyn Nets? 
currently 31 and 28, 8th seed in the Eastern Conference, seven games behind Miami and Chicago, four and a half games behind Philadelphia, Cleveland, and Milwaukee, two and a half games ahead of Charlotte and Atlanta. They were doing well until the year 2022 came around. Since the uh, beginning of the year, when they were 23 and 10, they've gone 8 and 18, 4 and 14 since Kevin Durant got injured. When did, when did KD get injured? It was uh, Bruce Brown rolled into his knee over the January 15th. Were they playing New Orleans? What, I forgot who they were playing, but uh, yeah, ever since then, man, I mean, we're speaking about the Nets at one point during the injury for uh, Durant went on an 11-game losing streak. James Harden was out that time at that time also with the hamstring injury. Kyrie was only playing half the time, so you know you you had a you had a mishmash of just subs and role players out there trying to do some things. So ever since KD has been out on January fifteenth, at that time Brooklyn was twenty seven and fifteen, and again just like James Harden, when is Kevin Durant going to come back? So Nash told reporters one thing. We're not going to do with Kevin Durant. We're not. We're not going to rush this guy back. And what he said, what he told uh, the New York Post, Brian Lewis of the New York Post, a few days before the All Star break, he said, "I'm not like he's going to play right when he when, right when the break ends. There's obviously small a small chance, but we want to be really careful because a setback would be tough. And there would and there are 20 or so games left." We don't want to jeopardize there and have a setback where he misses another 6-12 to 12 games. So I think we'll be cautious coming out of the break. There is a chance he could play, but I think it's more likely that we don't get our hopes that he's going to play the first game out of the break. All right. All right. I mean, I, I guess the question here I'm going to be asking on Wendell's World of Sports podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, is... Is there enough time this season for Brooklyn to become two contenders and title contenders? Because that's the deal, right? Isn't that what went down with the trade for James Harden? The fact that, hey, you know what, uh, the, the the thought and the hope and the prayer that once Kevin Durant came back and James Harden got over his hamstring injury, that even if he was going to leave, even if he was thinking about leaving at the end of the season, that, you know, the trio of KD and Kyrie and James Harden was good enough to uh, win ourselves a championship and then We'll worry about what happens after the uh, confetti, uh, after the confetti is done falling and the uh, parade is over, and we'll worry about that later on. Wasn't that supposed to be the thinking at first? Now Harden made it very easy by him quitting on the team, but I mean, this is a situation with KD, who's thirty-three years old, and you're speaking about uh, Kyrie, who's part-time, and we we don't know exactly what he does from day to day, moment minute to minute, uh, moment to moment. Where look with the Brooklyn Nets. You got to strike by the iron's hot. You got to win this championship and you got to do it really, really soon. The urgency, maybe not as high for them as it is for the Philadelphia 76ers now require uh, getting James Harden and with the possibility of, of Harden getting into that uh, max deal of five years, $275 million. But still, this is a situation where, you know, doggone it, you still have to do some things and you still have to uh, make some moves if you're the Brooklyn Nets with the acquisition of Ben Simmons. So, look, with KD coming back, normally after injury, KD comes back and he performs really well. The question, though, moving forward is the fact that when exactly is Ben Simmons going to make his debut? That's an unknown. That's the, that's a mystery wrapped up into a confounding question of we don't know. 
Ben Simmons doesn't know. He's still dealing with mental health issues, getting back in the and getting back in the playing shape. He said in his press conference, speaking of Simmons last week when he was introduced by the Nets, that he doesn't have a date yet, but is starting to ramp it up. What does that mean, ramping it up? Ramp up the what? What what are we speaking about here? Oh, have, is your mental situation is that does that need to be ramped up? I know the physical is going to be ramped up, but what type of shape are you in right now? Are we, are we going to be ramping up to try to get to, I mean, we're going to try to get to 80, 85% Ben Simmons this season. I, I don't think that you can miss the amount of times that Ben Simmons did and get back to 100% Ben Simmons by the end of the season, by, by the time the playoffs start. I, I don't. I, I think that's uh, foolhardy to think that, but I mean, for the Brooklyn Nets, at least for this season, can we get, Maybe 85% Ben Simmons. I mean, hell, I'll even go with 88.684324783655% of Ben Simmons. So if we're going to be looking at that, when Ben Simmons says he, he's starting to rev it up, where is he revving it up from? Is he revving it up from 20%? Is he revving it up to 65%? And by the time he revs it up, what the percentage is going to be for him to get back on the court and be a major contributor for the Brooklyn Nets. We don't know. We don't know. And again, this is a guy who's also dealing with mental health issues. So we don't know. I think for his role on the team, and we're speaking about a team that's going to include Kyrie Irving, that the fact that Ben Simmons is going to be a number three option or a number three in terms of importance is concerned, I think for him should help because I've never thought Ben Simmons was a good number two guy because of his his weaknesses as far as putting the ball in the basket. But if you're playing with two guys like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, who are like, don't worry about it, man. The more shots and scoring opportunities for us, the better. Ben Simmons doesn't need to be that guy that's going to be have to re, that's going to have to be relied on to score or have an impact from the offensive end like he was asked to do as the number two guy for the Philadelphia 76ers when he was with that organization. Now with Ben Simmons playing for the Brooklyn Nets and you have Kevin Durant and you have Kyrie Irving. We don't don't worry about that, man. Don't don't worry about scoring. You're, you're fine. You're all right. And you're speaking about a guy in, in, in Simmons here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell, Wendell Wallace. You're speaking about a guy in Ben Simmons who he, he can put the ball in the basket. I mean, he has career averages of almost 16 points a game, eight rebounds, and eight assists per game. He's earned three all-star selections, two all-defensive first-team selections, and one all-NBA third-team selection. So this guy, yeah, we can kind of think back and take a look at the playoffs in particular, that Atlanta Hawks series, and in particular, that Game 7 game against the Hawks, and in particular, the fourth quarter, and take a look at the fourth quarter stats. I just think mentally at that time that Ben Simmons was mentally done. I think that Ben Simmons... I think Ben Simmons really had one foot out the door or was contemplating having one foot out the door while that uh, series was going on. I I think now he's in a much more comfortable situation in terms of being on the court to where it's like, look, I'm not going to be asked why I don't shoot all the time. I'm not going to be badgered about why I don't shoot more three-pointers. I'm not going to be asked that time and time again and then be the brunt of the criticism when the team doesn't lose, when I feel that I did all that I needed to do, but because I didn't shoot a three-pointer, they're going to overlook MB's turnover or they're going to overlook Doc's rotation or they're going to overlook Tobias Harris having another bad game. But all, all, all this stuff that might be flowing through Ben Simmons's head near the end of his tenure with the Philadelphia 76ers. That's not going to be the issue anymore. Now, 
You have Kevin Durant, who they can blame. Definitely Kyrie Irving is someone that the uh, media can go after and blame, especially if he's going to be only a part-time player. So even though he's playing in the market like New York City, New York, I think that the uh, I think that it's going to be much more comfortable, both on and off the court, for Ben Simmons to do a thing and, and and get down with the get down. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. And look for the Brooklyn Nets for them to be successful, not only this year but moving forward. Hey, look, man, Ben Simmons. I mean, if you want to score, if you want to average ten to thirteen, fourteen points a game, fantastic. Your job is going to be that once the playoffs start and once you get really re- roaring, ready to go, in terms of being an integral part consistently with this team. There's guys out there that we're going to need you to guard. We're not going to be asking you to score 20 points a game. We don't care about you scoring 20 points a game. We're going to ask you to uh, see what you can do about uh, dealing with Giannis Adenokupo and Jimmy Butler and the Devin Bookers and the DeMar DeRozans and the Andrew Wiggins and the Jason Tatums and the Jalen Browns and the Pascal Siakams and even the Evan Mobleys of the world moving forward. That's what we're going to need for you to do. Uh, we, we we don't care if we're if you're not going to be shooting any three pointers. Now, if we could if you could make your free throws, that would be a little bit better. If you could kind of improve that mark, that would uh, be helpful. But uh, we're not asking you to uh, score twenty points a game. We're not asking you to be one of the main scores for our team, like you were like you were asked to do for the Seventy uh, Sixers. No, man, your main deal is to go ahead and see what you can do during these playoffs and playoffs in the near future about stopping Giannis and Jimmy and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Siakam and those type of guys. That's that's going to be the, the, the main thing. So, look, man, we can speak about the mental and the physical, what type of shape that he's in. The playoff for Brooklyn is going to start in eight weeks. We're going to need Ben Simmons at the very most when he comes back, what, around 70 75% of who Ben Simmons was once the – once he gets back for the regular season. And by the time the playoffs start, man, he needs to rev that up to near 80% or somewhere around 80%. And let's see what we can do to go get this LOB. Because uh, without without him, especially with the Kyrie Irving situation, we, we don't know exactly what his deal is going to be. We don't know about Joe Harris. He's been out since uh, November. And we don't know what, when he's going to be getting back into the swing of things. And even with a healthy 100% Joe Harris, when the playoffs start, he was always a guy who was a negative in terms of not being able to hit shots. So I think the acquisition of Seth Curry is going to be something to where it's like, well, good, good deal. Nice insurance for A, Joe Harris not coming back, but B, also if Joe Harris does come back and he continues to throw up bricks like he was doing for the last couple of years in the playoffs that they'll have a, another avenue that they can go down with Seth Curry, who had a very good uh, playoff series with the uh, 76ers last year. And Andre Drummond, let's not forget about him, a quality backup big man with the 76ers, one-time All-Star, who can provide the Nets with an inside presence. Not going to be the same guy that made it with the uh, that made the All-Star game with the Pistons, but he's better right now than what they've got, especially if you're going to ask him to maybe contribute 20 to 24 minutes a game, get get them to rebounds and score a little bit on the inside. So for the Brooklyn Nets, man, that's what it is moving forward for them. A lot of questions, but a lot of hope dealing with that squad. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Then, man, we've got the whole Kyrie Irving situation talked about that. And also, man, I'm, I'm interested, and I'll get into this a little bit later on some more podcasts about, man, what's, what's going to be going on with the Chicago Bulls and the Miami Heat? 
are the Miami Heat for real? When you're speaking about those guys being true contenders, being true contenders, yes. But in terms of being the favorites, you still have the Milwaukee Bucks. I think that uh, people are kind of sleeping on this season. Um, what about the Miami Heat? They've had a lot of injuries. Bam has been out. Uh, Tyler Hero's been out. Uh, Jimmy Butler's been out. Kyle Lowry's been doing dealing with some uh, some uh, personal situations. Um, but you know, no no team. I think the NBA is more consistent into playing to their identity than the Miami Heat. No team is going to play harder. No team is going to be more disciplined than the Miami Heat. And while, yeah, Jimmy Butler is an all-star, does Miami's culture, does Miami's way of playing, does Miami's a way of discipline in the fact that, you know, the, the, the identity of the team and you have Butler, you have the acquisition or the offseason acquisition of P.J. Tucker and Bam Adebayo. I mean, when you think of heat culture and you think about what it is, you take a look at those type of players. They're not going to be deviating from anywhere else in terms of the way that they play. And that type of discipline is going to be able to overcome the lack of incredible star power. Yes, Jimmy Butler is an all-star, but Jimmy Butler is not a guy who's a top 10, top 15 player, the Miami Heat is, are going to make it to the NBA Finals where they were a few years ago when they were in the bubble, they're going to win on culture. They're not going to win strictly on talent and star power. The lack of star power when you're going up against possibly two top 10 players and an MVP candidate, strong MVP candidate, and the Philadelphia 76ers or with the Milwaukee Bucks when you have to guard a Giannis Adenokupo or against the Brooklyn Nets when you got to guard a Kevin Durant and a Kyrie Irving. It's the culture, it's the discipline, the hard work and everything that symbolizes what the Miami Heat are. Is that going to be enough to uh, get them to the NBA Finals? And when they get to the NBA Finals, depending upon who they're playing, whether it be Phoenix or Golden State, is that going to be enough? So we're going to see. And then... I'm, I'm interested also here on Wendell's World of Sports Podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. Interested about the Chicago Bulls. I, I, I really, I'm, I'm fascinated with DeMar DeRozan. I really am, man. Because this is a cat, you could maybe call him the Julius Randle of this season. You know how Randle just came out of nowhere last uh, season with the Knicks and he made, what, second team All-NBA and he was supposed to be the guy that... Um, season he had got himself a nice contract extension and you know no one saw this coming no one saw that type of performance coming from Julius Randle never showed it in his career well this this is the same thing with um, DeMar DeRozan this year a guy who was a career 20 point scorer only had one season where he even scored 23 points a game and now this season he's averaging 28 points on 51 percent shooting had a streak going into the all-star break where he was the first player in NBA history to score 35 or more points and shoot 50% or better in seven consecutive games. Only Will Chamberlain was close when he did it uh, six straight times, twice during the 1960-61 and 1962-63 seasons. So this is a situation where the Chicago Bulls, look, they might have the best trio in the league when you're speaking about DeRozan, 28 points a game, being an all-NBA type of player. When you're speaking about Zach Levine taking the experience that he had with the USA Olympic team and bringing over some of the good mojo and some of the good lessons that he learned from hanging around KD and being coached by Greg Popovich, bringing it back to Chicago and this season, another all-star game appearance 
averaging 24 points a game. Nikola Vucevic averaging 18 points and 12 rebounds per game from the center position. Having important role players like Kobe, uh, Cody White, three-point shooting acumen, Alex Caruso, his defense and his intangibles. Hey, man, you know, the only thing that I can see preventing the Chicago Bulls from, I guess you could say, still shocking the basketball world if they make it to the NBA Finals, despite their record currently that they have this year. The only thing that can stop them is the uh, injuries to some key players. When you're speaking about Levine just having platinum-rich plasma therapy, a cortisone injection and fluid drain from his knee, his left knee last week where this was a situation where, you know, a, a treatment that's going to get him, just try to get him through the season, missing the past three games before the All-Star break to see the specialist in Los Angeles to get that procedure done, missing the previous five games in January with knee swelling and soreness, even though the MRI showed no structural damage. This could be, this could be devastating for the, for the Chicago Bulls, for that to happen. Alice Caruso missed some time with some injuries. DeMar DeRozan, Again, I mean, he's having a fantastic season, but, you know, this is a guy where once the playoffs hit, he's been a guy that's been underachieving. I remember one series, or one uh, uh, playoff season, in the recent in the recent uh, past that Dwayne Casey, the coach at the time for the Toronto Raptors, had to uh, bench, had to Russell Westbrook, DeMar DeRozan during crunch time because of his play. So a guy who's a 41% career field goal shooter in the playoffs, is he going to be able to uh, turn that around and get it done in the playoffs? So it, it basically, once, just like with last uh, season with the New York Knicks, you know, once they made the playoffs, it was the equivalent to the clock struck 12 and then Cinderella went back to, what, what's the story? Cinderella became a pumpkin or something like that? I don't know. So basically what happens when the... Uh, what happens when the Chicago Bulls make it into the playoff, which means that the clock strikes 12? DeMar still going to be a prince? Or is DeMar still going to be, is going to go back to what he was getting beat up by stepbrothers? So we'll uh, figure that out and we'll find all that out. But uh, yeah, man, so far in the Eastern Conference, you still got Milwaukee, you still got Boston, you still got Toronto, you still have Cleveland. A lot of good stuff, a lot of meat on the bone for us to pick at, for us to talk about, for us to discuss moving forward when the NBA gets back to rip roaring and ready to go later on this week it's going to be an interesting it's going to be exciting two two months eight weeks before we uh, hit the playoffs in the Eastern Conference man there's a lot of good storylines finally the Eastern Conference the early game on ESPN and TNT are going to be worth watching because if you're speaking about the jockeying and speaking about teams trying to get into the best position that they can and the schedule and everything that's going to be worked out and some of the games that are going to be playing and plus the intrigue of how James Harden is going to work with his new teammates in Philadelphia, how Ben Simmons is going to acclimate himself to his new teammates in Brooklyn. The NBA, for those who watch it like me, intriguing, interesting, fantastic. Yeah. 
Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Speaking about now what is happening in the Western Conference of the NBA. Of course, we can sit here and we can talk about what's going on. Do the Golden State Warriors, what type of chance they have to uh, get to the number one seed in the Western Conference now that Klay Thompson is back and looks like he's going to uh, not have too much rust to uh, get to the point where he can be a real valuable contributor for the Warriors as they uh, reach the playoffs, as they try to uh, get back to that championship uh, that championship caliber type of team. And what's going on with the Phoenix Suns? Are they going to be able to uh, maintain the sustain the success that they had with the best record in the league, 48-10? and 10? Moving forward, what about the Memphis Grizzlies with John Morant playing at an all-NBA level? Do the Grizzlies have... They don't have the experience, but do they have the talent to continue the success that they've had being the number three seed in the Western Conference to uh, really make it a statement and really doing some damage and really putting a scare in two teams like the, the Warriors and the Phoenix Suns once the playoffs start. Um, the struggling, fumbling, bumbling <laughs> Utah Jazz who uh, had a bad loss going into the All-Star break against the Los Angeles Lakers. Are they, going to, are they going to be able to recover? Now, they're still the number four seed, so it's not like they're at the Los Angeles Lakers level of disappointment for the season. But, you know, now with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell now kind of sniping at each other and the trade of Joe Inglis and now the the, 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 the lack of a, a wing scorer or a 3D guy, Royce, Royce O'Neal might be that guy. But if you're going to be reaching the playoff, the Jazz would definitely need an upgrade in that department. But uh, Mike Connolly still not being the uh, player that many people thought the Jazz were getting when he was uh, traded or when he was acquired. So the uh, Jazz have a lot of questions. And, of course, there's still the stain. There's still the, I guess you could say, the, the disappointment still. Lingering effects, possibly, of the performance they had in the Western Conference semifinals against the Los Angeles Clippers. How much of that is moving over, falling over to uh, this season? And how will that play once the uh, playoffs start and they get in there? What's happened if they play a team like the Denver Nuggets who might get um, Jamal Murray back? What's happened if they play a team like the Dallas Mavericks who seem to be getting much better now that Luka is getting more in the shape and they're playing more defense than ever? What's going to be happening? And maybe the albatross known as Christoph Porzingis no longer on their team can free up Dallas to do some other things. Not saying that Spencer Dinwiddie is going to be that guy to make things happen, but sometimes less is more. So if the Jazz are struggling and they have to play some of these teams that are below them, what's going to be happening is the remembrance of last season's playoff going to be any type of effect for Donovan Mitchell and Mike Connolly and Royce O'Neal and Rudy Gobert and Quinn Snyder and such as they go into the first round of the playoffs and beyond. So those are some of the things. Look, man, with the NFL now taking a backseat because the season is over, there'll be plenty of time for me to go ahead and speak about what's happening in the Western Conference and who doing is who's doing what and what's doing who. But um, of course, when we speak about the Western Conference, you know, the first thing that we have to get into, you know, the first thing that we have to talk about, uh, you know, how the NBA resolve, revolves around, you betcha, LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers. And of course, the scuttlebutt everybody was talking about listening to the podcast from those in Australia, from those here in the in this country, listening to the uh, listening to the talking head shows, listening to the experts on the Mike Greenberg show and the Shannon the Skip show and others speaking about 
Man, why in the world didn't the Los Angeles Lakers do something at the trade deadline? What 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 is happening? Current record is twenty seven and thirty one. Lost seven of the last ten games going into the All Star break. They have the league's oldest roster. Not too much athleticism outside of uh, outside of a team like uh, outside of uh, LeBron James and outside of uh, of uh, you know Kendrick Nunn has been played or outside of a Malik Monk. What 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 is going on? What is actually happening with the uh, Los Angeles Lakers? And how in the world? How in the world can those guys not do anything at the trade deadline? Now you're speaking about the injury to Anthony Davis. Now that happened after the trade deadline, but the team announced this past Thursday that Davis is going to be out at least four weeks after an MRI showed that the um, that Davis has a mild foot sprain. He suffered the injury on the team's 106-101 victory, as I mentioned before on Wednesday, this past uh, Wednesday to the Utah Jazz, he underwent x-rays that night at the Crypto.com Arena, formerly known as the Staples Center, that uh, revealed no fracture, according to the team, but an MRI Thursday revealed the sprain, and the Lakers said the team doctors will reevaluate Davis in four weeks. So it's like, oh my goodness gracious, what's going on here? How can the Lakers not do anything? How can they not um, go ahead and make some type of move? Well, what did you want them to do? What were you expecting them to do? What exactly were the moves that the Los Angeles Lakers trade deadline-wise were supposed to make to significantly improve their team to the point to where they would be uh, in the position to be real contenders for championships, both the conference and for the uh, for the tournament? What what exactly were they supposed to be doing? You got Taylor Horton Tucker, his value is at an all-time low. Russell Westbrook contract at the hardest and the NBA to offload, and everyone else is on minimum deals. So what were you going to do? LeBron, AD, and Westbrook, those are the players that make up the majority of the salary cap for the Lakers. So what was going to be the situation? What exactly was what's going to happen? What did you want? You, you're, not trading, you're not trading LeBron James. You can sit there and say, yeah, we can go ahead and trade uh, Anthony Davis. A, who you're going to trade him to, and B, who are you going to trade him to and get back in return that all of a sudden would elevate the Lakers to the same level as the Milwaukee Bucks, as the Chicago Bulls, as the Phoenix Suns, as the Golden State Warriors and such. What what trade out there is going to be made? Because going into the season, when they traded for Russell Westbrook, that was the expectations right there. That was going to be the trio right there. You know, we take a look at all the great trios and all that kind of stuff and who's going to be doing what and who's going to be doing this, that, and the other. And we speak about all the great threesomes and NBA basketball history. Some have been living up the expectations. Some have not. But this was supposed to be the this was supposed to be the trio right here: LeBron, Westbrook, and Anthony Davis. That was going to get them back to uh, the championship level and give LeBron a true opportunity to get his fifth championship ring. And it hasn't worked. So when you trade away all of your capital for Russell Westbrook, and you have those three guys making up the majority of the salary cap. What are you going to trade to get themselves better? You, get, you don't have anything to trade for G- Jeremy Grant to add on to LeBron and AD. Now, I, I know the speculation that you go ahead, you make the trade, and the, the, the whole deal is that with LeBron and AD in the Western Conference, they're hard to beat. So, you know, you just kind of uh, meander and improve around the, around the edges of this, and you'll be fine. With who? With who? Who were you going to trade? You weren't going to get Jeremy Grant trading... Taylor Horton Tucker, Kendrick Nunn, and Malik Monk for him. So that's that's not happening. 
any player of consequence that could truly lift the Los Angeles Lakers to a place where they could be true contenders for the uh, for the conference championship is either having a, an abdominal injury like Damian Lillard in Portland has a wrist injury like Bradley Beal in Washington, and that's about it. Those were the only guys. Ben Simmons wasn't going to the Lakers. James Harden wasn't going to the Lakers. Anybody else? Christoph Porzingis is not going to help the Lakers in any way, shape, or form. We saw the Montrez Herald experiment with the Lakers last season. That didn't work. Anybody, everybody who got traded at the NBA trade deadline this season, none of those players, none of those players, A, could have elevated the Lakers to where they would be true contenders for a championship outside of James Harden, a healthy James Harden, a motivated James Harden, a focused James Harden, a caring James Harden, an in-shape James Harden, and Ben Simmons. Those were the only two. And I think even with Ben Simmons, if you put him, if you could just somehow dupe what you couldn't, dupe Philadelphia for them to take Russell Westbrook and give them Ben Simmons, still I don't think that the Lakers would be good enough with a, with Ben Simmons, LeBron, and Anthony Davis to compete for a championship when you take a look at what Golden State and when you take a look at what the Phoenix Suns are doing. So all of this talk right now and all of the scuttlebutt and all of this criticism that Rod Palenka is, 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 has coming at him because he didn't do anything at the trade deadline, knowing that the Lakers were a team that in no way, shape, or form is at the level to compete for a championship. Again, what did you want him to do? If you want to criticize somebody for the Lakers not being able to do anything, you take a look at maybe Palenka or LeBron James, or maybe take a look at Palenka because he fell to the whims of LeBron James before the season started by agreeing with LeBron to go ahead and make this trade for the Lakers to uh, trade Kuzma and to trade the rest of those young fellas, KCP and such, for a guy in Russell Westbrook who was long past his expiration date for him making a true impact on the team that could win a championship, especially when you're speaking about the fit that we in the role that he would have to have on this team. It was foolhardy. It was ridiculous. So this notion that I can't believe that the Lakers and Rob Palenka didn't make any trades at the trade deadline, but just making the trade for trade's sake, there was nothing out there for the Lakers to make. And if I'm the Lakers brass and I'm the Lakers organization, I'm like, you know what, fellas? LeBron, AD, the guys who went to Westbrook in the what in the offseason and discussed these things and talked about it before the deal was consummated. You know what, man? You're the one who went ahead and said that we're going to make this work. You're the one when the doubters were speaking about, look, there's not enough shooting. No one's going to play any defense. Uh, Westbrook, I mean, what type of role is he going to play for him to be effective? He's going to need the ball in his hand. And, you know, James had all these tweets and these texts and talking about, well, just watch and love the heat haters. They fuel the fire and we're going to show the whole world and we're going to shock the whole world. All those type of things. Well, you ain't shocking nobody and you ain't fooling nobody. This all this stuff that's coming to fruition with your team, we all told you. So now LeBron is going to be like, okay, now you got to go ahead, Rod and Rob, and fix it. No, no, you're the one who put this team together. Together, LeBron, you go ahead and fix it. AD, you were part of the plan to go ahead and put the trio of you, LeBron, and you, LeBron, and Westbrook together. You go ahead and fix it. I'm not going with, we're not going ahead and, and writing in to save the day from your mistake. So this is the LeBron James move. This is the bed you made. Now it's time for you to lay in it. So look, everybody, Westbrook is, 
you know, it, I guess there's no secret now that LeBron's like, hey, look, man, we needed to make a trade, and we didn't make a trade, namely getting Westbrook out of here, and you didn't make a trade for Russell Westbrook. There was a report, a Bleacher report from Eric Pincus. He reported that the Clutch Sports group, which represents LeBron and Anthony Davis, they're not happy with Lakers general manager Rob Palenka for his refusal to trade Russell Westbrook in a future first-round pick to the Houston Rockets for clutch client John Wall. John Wall? That's your answer? That's the Lakers' answer right there. John Wall. John Wall, who hasn't played one second of the season. He's played the same amount of minutes as Ben Simmons this year. John Wall. John Wall, who... I don't know, over the past, what, four or five years, it's played in, what, two seasons, maybe? That John Wall? The John Wall whose game was dictated, or the success of his game was dictated by his athleticism, and now coming off of two major surgeries to his knee, that all of a sudden, John Wall is going to be the guy that's going to have players saying that's going to have the Lakers back into the running of winning championships? John Wall it's going to be the guy that's going to save the Los Angeles Lakers? Come on, LeBron. You know so much more about basketball than I do. It's not even funny, but come on, man. That's going to be the deal? Tell me the big difference between John Wall and Russell Westbrook. <laughs> I mean, doesn't make sense to me. Absolutely makes no sense to me. What uh, uh, Pincus wrote also in the article was that, according to multiple NBA sources, Clutch is not happy with Palenka. The sentiment has long... Uh, Precluded that he that, but it reached the boil when Palenka refused to trade Westbrook in a future first round pick, likely 2027, because any recent first round pick that the Lakers had, they gave to uh, New Orleans when they made that trade for Anthony Davis. So any future first round pick for the Houston Rockets guard and clutch uh, and clutch client John Wall that was supposed to be the deal and the. Uh, and LeBron and those guys are mad at Palenka for not making the move. So I don't, I don't, I don't know what the backlash of all this is going to be, but it's going to be interesting to see now when you have someone like Russell Westbrook, where basically it was like, "Hey, look, man, you know, we talked about this, we discussed this in the summer, in the previous summers, even when Westbrook was playing with the Oklahoma City Thunder and he was doing the thing here with LeBron." James live in the off and live in LA in the off season, so they would sp- spend plenty of time in the off season working out and hanging out together, uh, doing their thing in the off season. So they developed a, a type of friendship, in a in a friendship in a relationship to where hey, you know, something like this was discussed in the summer and discussed with such glee and, and happiness in terms of yeah, we're going to get Russell Westbrook on this team and try to convince Palenka, who was in the discussion points of trying to obtain Buddy Heald from the Sacramento Kings instead of Westbrook. But LeBron was like, no, no, we can do this. We can do this. I can make it work. Don't worry about it. You know, LeBron, take J.R. Smith, take so many other chances, challenges of players that LeBron James has taken under his wing and they've been successful. He thought he could do this with Russell Westbrook and it proven that he can't, that he can't. So, now LeBron is upset, his management is upset, his advisor, agent, co-whatever is upset, the clutch. So James goes and gives this interview, right? So with Jason Lloyd of The Athletic. 
And he's talking about, he acknowledges that he could return to Cleveland to uh, play for the Cleveland Cavaliers for the third time in his career. And I think when everything is all said and done, he'll go down in the NBA Hall of Fame as a Cleveland Cavalier. And when we think about LeBron, we'll think about first Cleveland, second Miami, and then a distant third, um, the Lakers, even though he won championships with all of them. I think a kid from Akron, Ohio, I think the situation where the narrative of, you know, a, a kid born in Akron, played for his hometown team, even though Cleveland, Akron, I don't know how hometown that is, but, you know, he played for his hometown team and he leads him to a championship for the first time in 50 plus years and doing all those type of things. And you're speaking about the Cleveland, Ohio area, which is very rich, not just with NBA basketball, but with just sports in general. So I think when everything is all said and done, LeBron is going to be going into the Hall of Fame as a Cleveland Cavalier. But, you know, he's speaking about the door is still open in terms of there might be a shot that he'll be playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers for a third time. And what he told Lloyd in the interview with The Athletic, he said, the door's not closed on that. I'm not saying I'm coming back and playing. I don't know. I don't know what my future holds. I don't even know when I'm free. Of course, he knows all this. James also told Gathered Media that his future will dovetail with his son's potential NBA career. So he says, "Whenever, wherever Bronny lands, quote, that's where I'll be. So... The earliest Bronny James could be eligible to play in the NBA at 23. I think uh, I think right now he's a junior in high school. He's up there in Sierra Canyon playing for a uh, pretty good basketball factory, high school back basketball factory. Sierra Canyon, Zaire Wade, uh, Dwayne's son played there also. Um, a couple of guys, one and Duns recently played for Sierra Canyon and such. So uh, James' son, Bronny, has been playing there starting as a freshman. I think he started as a freshman or he's Either he started a few games, came off the bench or something like that, but he's been progressing he's been progressing rather nicely. I think he's ranked as far as juniors, ESPN, I think he's ranked like 43 or 44 as far as the top 60 is concerned. So the earliest he can get to the NBA is going to be in the year 2023. That's when he'll be eligible and LeBron will be 40 years old at the time. But he's saying that, you know what, whether we're speaking about him being drafted by Indiana or whether he's being drafted by Sacramento or whether wherever he's being drafted, he said that he's going to play with his son. So that'll be interesting for, uh, that'll be interesting for the Lakers moving forward. And that'll be interesting for the NBA moving forward. And it's interesting that LeBron is putting that type of uh, pressure on his son. Maybe he should say, look, when my son is ready to play basketball, if he's ready to play basketball, if he's, if he's talented, if he's blessed enough to be in the NBA sometime, when I'm still able to play in the league, I would love the opportunity to play with my son. That would be kind of Ken Griffey Sr. Jr. of basketball happening right there. But um, a lot of pressure to put on your son. I guess he's at home saying, hey, son, look, man, I'm, I can, you know, I can only spend a million dollars on my body for so long to keep it going. So, um, you know, 43, ranked number 43 in the top 60. We need to, uh, we need to get a little bit better at that. But, uh, you know, the bottom line for the Lakers, once again, as far as this trade deadline is concerned and they needed to get better and Palenka dropped the ball and all this kind of nonsense. Again, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, you made this bed. Now you lay in it. Because instead of, you know, trading for Buddy Heald, you got Russell Westbrook. Instead of giving away all of the assets that you could have traded for, 
to get something uh, to get something much better to, or to really be a player in the trade deadline right now. You went ahead and you made your moves in terms of any of the tradable talent that you had in the offseason to get Russell Westbrook. You're bad. Rob Palenka ain't coming in to clean it up. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us speaking about what is happening in the Western Conference and speaking about basically what is going on with the train wreck known as the Los Angeles Lakers. Man, depending upon what happens with the Brooklyn Nets and everything surrounding and swirling with the Brooklyn Nets concerning with the KD situation or the the James Harden situation and the Kyrie Irving not being vaccinated and only playing half the games after sitting out the majority of the games to begin the season and the expectations that the uh, Brooklyn Nets had and where they are right now. I don't know. Maybe you can put them up there, but there's some circumstances, extenuating circumstances that might give you a little bit of a pass in terms of, in terms of the um, Brooklyn Nets being the, most disappointing team in the NBA, but man, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I can't think of a team which had higher expectation, which has, which have failed to reach them like the Los Angeles Lakers. Again, especially when the Lakers made that trade for Russell Westbrook. Everybody was like, we'll make it work. LeBron can make it work. LeBron's still LeBron. Well, no, man, LeBron ain't still LeBron. This might have been able to work if LeBron was 25 years old. This might have been able to work when LeBron was in his prime 27, 28 years old. This might have been able to work when LeBron was even 31, 32 years old. But this LeBron, not happening. And I think also, in terms of picking up Russell Westbrook, I don't think it was just, you know, LeBron's going to be able to turn this chicken shit into chicken salad. I also think it was a situation where, look, AD is going to elevate his game. So we're going to be seeing a elevated improve from last season by Anthony Davis, who already is genuinely regarded as a top 10 player. Now you're going to see Anthony Davis move up to maybe number six, number seven, somewhere around there. And along with LeBron James, then that's really going to elevate Russell Westbrook's game. And you're already speaking about Russell Westbrook, who inconsistent, but yet and still, when you take a look at especially the, the, the end of the season, with the Washington Wizards last uh, year, and then the year before that, before COVID came around and Westbrook caught COVID and injured his uh, hamstring, what he was uh, doing with the Houston Rockets during that time, there was a there was a scenario where Westbrook could come back and do some things, but uh, it's not happening, man. It, it is it is not not happening. So while we can lay you know, the blame on LeBron James, also Anthony Davis, his inability. And in fact, I, in fact, instead of progressing to where he could be able to shoulder the load of a, a Westbrook to make it happen on the team, I think he's regressed to the point to where, you know, now there's just too much on LeBron. Because LeBron statistically is having a fantastic year. And the Lakers are still 27 and 31 in a weakened, watered down Western Conference so far in the 19, excuse me, so far in the 2021, 2022 NBA season. Wendell's World and Sports the Podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So again, what does, speaking about the Los Angeles Lakers, what does it mean, the, the lack of movement? Now that, what Westbrook knows, that man ain't no dummy. He knows that the LeBron wanted him out of here. He knows that he knows that the Lakers organization tried to trade him. That Clutch Sports and LeBron and Anthony Davis were in cahoots 
to say, yeah, man, we'll take, we'll trade Russell Westbrook to uh, the fledgling, failing, floundering Houston Rockets for John Wall, a guy who wasn't played at all this season. We'll go ahead and trade him for that in a future number one draft pick. Let's go ahead and we'll jettison Russell Westbrook. So Westbrook knows all this stuff. So what does it mean now moving forward for the Lakers in terms of chemistry, in terms of playing together, in terms of all of those things? What does it mean? Because unlike the trio last season of James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving, where they were so brilliant as basketball players, they're still in their basketball playing prime that it really didn't matter that they only played 12, 13 games together or some nonsense like that. They were such great basketball players, still at the t- pinnacle of their career, that they didn't need to have the, they didn't need to have sunshines and rainbows. They didn't need to have an X amount of games, 40, 50, 60, 70, to acclimate themselves with each other and gain chemistry and learn each other's tendencies as such for this experiment to work. Just because of their talent, it was going to work uh, right from Jump Getty. Well, with the Lakers, it hadn't been that because LeBron is not at the same level as KD at the uh, beginning of the season, especially when Harden was first traded from Houston to the um, Brooklyn Nets. And there was a time there that he was basically the damn near MVP that Anthony Davis is not playing at that level. And Russell Westbrook is nowhere near the third member of that, tri- that, that trio. <clears throat> um, Russell Westbrook is not playing anywhere near that. So, Where are we going with this moving forward? Where, guess what? Because of the talent, that they are going to need some games together. They are going to need some type of chemistry. There there, there needs to be some type of positive relationship, working relationship moving forward, even though we all know what happened. So so, so what does that mean moving forward for Westbrook, who now is, you know, under the situation where, look, if you ain't playing well in this fourth quarter, you're not playing. Frank Vogel has gotten the thumbs up, the A-OK from management to coach the way that you need to coach to win games. And for Frank Vogel and the Lakers to win games, Russell Westbrook, that that ship has sailed in terms of you got to play the fourth quarter regardless of what you're doing, regardless of what type of game that you're doing, that somehow, someway, all of a sudden we need you. No, we don't need you. If you're stinking up the joint, if you're not playing well, we don't need you. Especially if someone like a Malik Monk or an Austin Reeves or somebody else is coming in and doing work. We don't need you. We don't we that Russell Westbrook who's not playing defense, who's slow to get back on a transition defense, who's throwing up wild three point shots with eighteen left to go on a shot clock, who's dominating the basketball while James is on the other side watching and A D is post up and not getting the ball. That Russell Westbrook who's who's Mad capping his way to the uh, basket, flailing up shots and missing them. No, we don't need that Russell Westbrook anymore. Now, maybe the Houston Rockets would have tolerated that Russell Westbrook. Maybe the Oklahoma City Thunder may have tolerated that Russell Westbrook. But the Russell Westbrook of 33 years old and what he's doing now for the Los Angeles Lakers, we don't need that. We don't need that. And Frank Vogel has gotten the permission from upper management to coach the way that you want to coach with means. Russell, have a seat. First thing that happened against the, um, in the closing minutes in the loss to the Indiana Pacers in January. It did so again against the New York Knicks uh, a little bit later on, an overtime victory by the Lakers. That game was on ESPN. Wasn't it, wasn't it a Saturday game against the, uh, on ESPN or ABC or something like that? An overtime victory where the Knicks got out to a big lead and the Lakers came back and won the game in overtime. And 
down the stretch, the Lakers didn't play Russell Westbrook at all. And then in that abomination, which was that game on, ooh, what was that game? Was it Tuesday, Thursday night? I know it was on TNT, the game against the uh, Milwaukee Bucks at the Crypto Center where Westbrook was shooting three for 11 from the field with four turnovers. And Vogel removed him from the game with 234 remaining in the third quarter. And at that time, the Lakers trailed by 24 points and they cut the lead to 10, all without Westbrook. And then... After the game, when Westbrook was basically asked about being benched in a situation where have the Lakers given you any type of benchmarks in terms of by this time of the game, if you're not reaching or playing at this type of level that we're going to take you out of the game, when asked that sort of question by the media after the game against Milwaukee, Westbrook said, quote, I don't have to hit a benchmark or I shouldn't have to. I earned the right to be in Closing lineups, I mean, numbers will tell you. I don't have to explain that. Man, you know who that sounds like? You know who that sounds like, man? That sounds like Allen Iverson near the end of his tenure. I don't know if it was... He didn't play long enough in Memphis for him to uh, even get that far. Lionel Hollins was like, get get this guy out of here before I try to fight him again. I think it was near his tenure with the Philadelphia 76ers when Mo Cheeks was the coach and I think he was coming back from injury and he just assumed that he was going to be in the starting lineup and when he was asked about you know because you missed so many games are you going to be in a situation to come off the bench until you get your legs underneath you and your cardio and everything back into shape and Allen Iverson everybody talks about his practice 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 ranch or a rant um regarding um Larry Brown and such, but um, I remember Allen Iverson at that time when asked if he was going to come off the bench until he got into basketball playing shape, he said, uh, you know, uh, an MVP doesn't come off the bench, uh, 12-time All-Star didn't come off the bench, uh, one of the leading scorers, a three-time um, a three-time NBA scoring champion doesn't come off the bench, and basically he was running down his resume to say that players of my ilk, players of my st- uh, status, don't come off the bench. Of course, all of the things that he was mentioning in terms of the accomplishments he had were from years ago, and he wasn't thinking in the present at that time. And I remember when uh, someone made the comment, well, you know, Tim Duncan, when he came back from injury, I think it was the same season that all this stuff went down with Iverson. It was like, well, Tim Duncan has done all that stuff, and he's won championships, and he's come on, he's coming off the bench until he gets himself into playing shape. So, uh what are you going to try to tell me, man? You're better than Tim Duncan on this? Love myself some Allen Iverson, but it was kind of like, ugh. Someone is not accepting the father time is kicking his ass right now on the Allen Iverson that won the MVP, the Allen Iverson that single-handedly led the Philadelphia 76ers offensively to the NBA Finals against the Los Angeles Lakers. That Allen Iverson has long left the building, and he ain't coming back, but... Uh, kind of sounds like Russell Westbrook, right? When you're speaking about, I don't have to hit a benchmark. I shouldn't have to. I earned the right to be in closing lineups. Numbers will tell you. I don't have to explain that. Well, you do have to explain that, Russell, because if you're speaking about this season, I'm not speaking about when you won the MVP in 2017 with the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm not talking about the guy who set the record for most triple doubles. I'm not speaking about that guy who first started with Kevin Durant and James Harden with the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm not, I'm not speaking about that guy. I'm speaking about the Russell Westbrook of this season with the Lakers. And the Russell Westbrook of this season, to sit there and say that you shouldn't have benchmarks or you shouldn't, uh, just your, your resume should preclude from any type of benching in the fourth quarter. Well, 
Sorry, man, with the Lakers, that just doesn't hold up water. The Lakers have been outscored by 3.2 points per 100 possessions when you've had what when Westbrook has been on the court in the fourth quarter of the season. Meanwhile, off the floor, crunch time, fourth quarter, they've the Lakers have outscored their opponents by almost 10 points per 100 possessions. So, oops, sorry, something tells me that the data shows that new. No. Sorry, man, if you're not playing well, that we're not going to be able to keep you in the game because statistics, fact, data shows that uh, it ain't working. Now, liars use statistics, and statistics can uh, be used by liars, but, but but still, I mean, you know, this is a situation where, come on, man, you got to be able to uh, face the facts. What does it mean for Frank Vogel's job? What does it mean for all that? I don't know. We, we will see moving forward, but uh, like I mentioned before, man, there's a lot of time for talk about what's happening in the Western Conference. I'm, 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 I'm drooling. I'm slobbering to speak about what's happening with the Dallas Mavericks. I'm itching to speak about the second half of the of the Western Conference after the playoff break is over. I'm interested to see, even with all the moves that the Sacramento Kings got with their sole intent purposes, just to get into the playing game in the Western Conference with Sabonis and such. I want to see if that duo between Sabonis and Demetrius Sabonis and um, DeAndre Fox, De'Aaron Fox, excuse me. I want to see if that's going to work. So there's a lot of things from top to bottom in the NBA that I'm going to be speaking about in the Western Conference. But I just wanted to uh, get my thoughts and the feelings and opinions out about the Los Angeles Lakers and some of the folly and some of the nonsense. Look, man, there's, there's no league rule that says that the Los Angeles Lakers have to be relevant every single year. There, there's no rule that states that as long as LeBron James is playing, that the NBA needs to do everything humanly possible, that the 31 or 29 other teams in the NBA need to be doing everything humanly possible to make sure that the Lakers, with LeBron James, or any team that has LeBron James, needs to be in a position to win a championship or compete for a championship. That that doesn't work. That doesn't work. So to ask another team to help the Lakers with a trade that only Ernie Grunfeld would make in terms of its of its one-sidedness for the other team, that's not going to be happening. The Lakers traded for Russell Westbrook. LeBron was the one who was behind the trading for Russell Westbrook, the acquisition of Russell Westbrook. Sorry, man. LeBron, AD, Lakers, Laker fans, everyone else in between, you made this bed. Russell Westbrook is in it. I hope you guys for the remainder of the season are going to be quite comfy sleeping in it. What is up? What is up? Double lesson low. Emebe bandai malo mera. Machaenge. Jone naaste usko bhi na chahenge. Let's do it. Hey, hey. मामा बनने बोले कल्लू बन जाऊंगा तू चाहे तो तेरा पल्लू बन जाऊंगा मलयालम होगी तो मल्लू बन जाऊंगा तेलुगू रहेगी तो अल्लू बन जाऊंगा तू बनाएगी तो उल्लू बन जाऊंगा बेबी बाबा नहीं बल्लू बन जाऊंगा लड़की पटाने में संजू बन जाऊंगा शादी करने बोले सल्लू बन जाऊंगा Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour, bonsoir, 
Que pasa, mi amigos? Me llamo Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. Good morning, good abend. Konnichiwa, shalom, wassalam alaikum, namaste. Wendell's World of Sports. So doggone glad that you could be with us. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast all over the globe, from America up to Canada, down to Mexico, to Brazil, to Peru, to Germany, to Russia, to Lithuania, to Pakistan, to Bangladesh, to Melbourne, Australia, to Perth, to New Zealand. Thank you so doggone much. I really appreciate that. I most certainly, most certainly do. Hey, before I get into um, what I want to talk about concerning the NFL and start talking about some of the more important things, I'll make it really short. I just wanted to give my thoughts and opinions about this uh, melee that happened between the University of Michigan and the University of Wisconsin after their basketball game. What happened between the coaches for the Michigan Wolverines, Jawan Howard and Greg, Greg Beard or Greg whatever of the, um, of the Wisconsin Badgers. At the end of the game, one of the, uh, it was 77-63 Michigan, which has been a disappointment. They came into the season, preseason ranked in the top 10 and they haven't lived up to expectations. So, it's been a difficult time, so Jawan is dealing with that. Coach Howard is dealing with that. So at the end of the game, the uh, coach for Wisconsin called a timeout. The game was already in hand, so he called a timeout, and Jawan Howard didn't like that, so he took his time to get into the line at the end of the game. I don't know why at the end of the game these guys have to go ahead and shake each other's hands. The winner doesn't want to do it. The loser definitely doesn't want to do it. It's disingenuous. It's uh, just a matter of a formality to go through. I don't know why the NCAA has to put in that dog and pony show. But, um, you know, trying to uh, give the projection of student athletes and this is just a game and we're all sportsmen and all this kind of nonsense when you have all the corruption that comes with the, the hypocrisy that comes with the and the greed and the corruption that comes with the NCAA. But they're going to go ahead at the end of a game, a basketball games, and have the coaches and the players go through this silly ritual of, you know, giving each other uh, a boy and good game and good luck to you and handshake. Half the time, Jamie Dixon, the coach, I guess he's still coaching TCU. Jamie Dixon was so quick to shake the other coach's hands, warn or lose. Half the time, the guy didn't even make icon eye contact with the coach. So to me, it's just a silly ritual. But, you know, if you want to keep up the farce, which is the ACAA with uh, what they're doing, fine. But to get into the line to uh, shake the hands, Jawan Howard was a little bit slow in doing so as Coach Beard was going through the line, shaking the hands of the Michigan players. And when he finally got to um, Coach Howard, Coach Howard said something. And after he said something, Coach Beard put his hands on Howard to kind of stop him to explain the fact that this is the reason why I called the timeout. Jawan Howard didn't like the fact that the coach for Wisconsin put his hands on him and he reacted in an angrily way to say, hey man, don't put your hands on me. And he put his finger in the coach's face and Coach Beard didn't like that or he didn't. the coach for Wisconsin didn't like that at all either. So things escalated and I guess one of the players for Wisconsin said something to uh, coach Howard which uh, Jawan didn't like so he took an open hand slap at him and that started the whole brouhaha and melee this, this wasn't a situation where this kind of looked like a uh, AEW or WWE pull apart uh, between two participants where those guys go after each other and then the ring gets filled with wrestlers and they pull each other apart and at least um at least uh, the coach for Wisconsin and Howard didn't break away from each other and start going at it again. But it was it was silly. It was nonsensical. It was embarrassing. I'm quite sure 
after some time of reflection that uh, both of the coaches for Wisconsin and Michigan, look, they don't have to break bread. They don't have to be good buddies and they can still hate each other, but uh, they can both agree that uh, what they did was embarrassing and it was wrong. And, and I know, you know, Coach Howard, he's going to sit there and talk about, you know, where I come from. You don't do those type of things. You don't put a hand, you'll put a hand on someone else in my neighborhood or on my block or whatever. I, I don't know what other, I don't know what other block, I don't know what other neighborhood you can go to where someone can put their hands on somebody else and it's A-OK. So, but, but even if that's the case, Coach Howard, we're not on the streets of uh, Chicago anymore, OK? I mean, this, you know, we keep it real type of stuff. Not working when you're uh, in your uh, in your 40s and 50s in an, in an adult. You know, that, that type of stuff, the way you handle stuff when you were an adolescent, you know, on the streets to try to survive, it doesn't happen here. Shouldn't be happening here. It's not happening here. And th- th- that reason itself is inexcusable. And coach, don't put your hands on somebody. You know, if, if you, you let Jawan Howard say his deal, and as you walk him by, you can kind of say, well, you know, screw you, or that's the way it goes, or, you know, you're a loser. Whatever, you don't, you're a loser. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names are never going to hurt me. So whatever, man, you guys can rip each other at the press conference. You guys can rip each other in print, whatever. I mean, you know, it's just what they did was... Um, was silly. I don't think either of them should be fired. And I think uh, every one of us have had those moments where we've done something that was embarrassing and silly. And we look back on it and it was like, ah, we probably shouldn't have done that. Or I should have been able to uh, handle that better. And, you know, the whole deal about, you know, you're a, you're a coach, you're a uh, face, one of the faces of the university. And in some cases, the face of the school, the face of the city, the face of the state in some cases. So you are held to a higher standard, especially when you have the responsibility and the money that you're making that, you know, you need to be held in higher regard or you need to uh, do things. Sometimes you just need to walk away. You just need to be the bigger man and all those type of things. But, uh, you know, sometimes we slip up. We're human beings. So I don't think what they did was, you know, a fireable offense or this is horrible or this is terrible. I mean, you know, it's just the way it is. An apology would be sufficient. Probably a suspension for both would be sufficient. And we move on. We go ahead and we move on. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host. I just wanted to throw that out there before we got into uh, the NFL because even though Georgetown stinks out loud at 6-20 and 20, and because of that, I really haven't been paying attention to college basketball, especially with the NBA and the NFL going on that uh, going to have to play a lot of catch-up in terms of my knowledge of the college basketball season, doing a lot of catch-up, and will I have the mustard to uh, go ahead and do that as my Georgetown Hoyas continue to lose and get blown out and be an embarrassment to college basketball. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. i got to do what i got to do to appease the folks here in this country and appease the listeners in Canada and appease the folks who are but who are listening in Brazil and Sweden and Norway and all across the globe I have to give you my thanks and I have to show you my gratitude for you guys downloading, rating, reviewing and doing all those things with my podcast by doing the hard, painful deal in terms of finding out what's happening in college basketball, even even though my Georgetown Hoyas, the love of my lives are uh, completely irrelevant and and absolute embarrassment. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. I get emotional when I speak about how bad Georgetown is. All right, let me go ahead and speak about what is happening, though, in the NFL. The offseason is here. If you take a look at the calendar, the 
really, we're speaking about uh, the NFL starting to gear things up uh, tomorrow. Wherever you're listening to this, whenever you're listening to this, February 22nd to Mar- March 8th, the teams can designate players for the franchise tag or the transition tag. March 1st and March 7th at the NFL Scouting Combine. March 16th, starting at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Free agency begins and trades become official. The top free agents this offseason we're looking at we're looking at Devontae Adams, wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers, Chris Godwin, wide receiver for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who's coming off an ACL injury, Brandon Sheriff of the Washington Commanders, who's an offensive lineman, Vaughn Miller, Super Bowl uh, champion, pass rushing defensive end for the Los Angeles Rams, Chandler Jones, five sacks, first week of the season for the Arizona Cardinals, and then not too much after that for the uh He's going to be a free agent. Allen Robinson, wide receiver for the Chicago Bears. Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger, safety, played for the Kansas City football team. And quarterback Jameis Winston suffered an ACL tear, but he's also going to be a free agent. So so those are some of the top free agents that are going to be in play once March 16th starts, 1 p.m. Eastern uh, Pacific Standard Time on the 16th of March. Then we got April 18th. The offseason workouts begin for teams with returning head coaches. April 29th through May 1st. Right here in Las Vegas, we have the 2022 NFL Draft. One is Thursday, April 28th, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Rounds 2 and 3 are Friday, uh, April 29th, which are going to be starting around 1 a.m., on Saturday, if you're speaking about, if you're going to be watching the draft from France, round four and seven, that's going to be on April 30th. That's going to start at 9 a.m. Pacific uh, Hawaiian time, if you're going to be watching that out there in Hawaii. So April 29th to May 1st is going to be the NFL draft out here in Vegas. Then late April, early May, we have the 2022 NFL schedule which is going to be announced late July, early August. Then we have training camp starting and the world will be right once again because early August and then a month later, we have the start of the NFL regular season. Look, there's a lot of things going on in this offseason, which are going to be major players in terms of what we're going to be talking about, what we're going to be discussing. And as always, when you're speaking about the NFL, everything surrounded, everything, the star of the shows is always going to be the quarterbacks and if you think about the potential quarterbacks that could be on the move this season especially the way that the NFL captivated and held our attention through the offseason last season when you had the whole follow loop with Aaron Rodgers saying that he doesn't want to be part of the Green Bay Packers anymore and then you had the Deshaun Watson deal coming out where he didn't want to be part of the Houston Texans and then the allegation the sexual um assault allegations that came against Deshaun Watson and you had Russell Wilson for a little bit for a time there talking about uh, I don't I don't want to be traded I really love playing in Seattle but man my offensive line stinks and if I uh, get traded I would love to go to the Chicago Bears or some some other places so there was the nonsense of that there was the whole drama concerning Dak Prescott and his contract extension whether he was going to get a contract extension so Quarterbacks are always going to play a major role in terms of keeping our attention in the offseason for the NFL. Gave you examples of last uh, year and the offseason for the NFL. And it should be no different this year when we speak about the potential quarterbacks that could be causing some drama that could be on the move when you still have the Deshaun Watson 
situation still unresolved, when we're still speaking about what's going to be happening with Aaron Rodgers, when we're going to be speaking about Carson Wentz, is he still going to be the quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts after an underwhelming season with Frank Reich and that organization? Derek Carr, what's going to be a situation with the Las Vegas Raiders? Baker Mayfield, is he going to be the quarterback that the Cleveland Browns want? What's the Pittsburgh Steelers going to do now that uh, Ben Roethlisberger has retired? What are the Miami Dolphins going to do? Are they really going to keep Tua? Especially when um, the owner, Stephen Ross, for the Dolphins was so hungry and so motivated to try to get Deshaun Watson. Are they really going to go with Tua to start the season? Jameis Winston, the top quarterback free agent who's coming off an ACL tear. Where is he going to land? Which team is going to pick him up? Jimmy Garoppolo. But the drafting of Trey Lance last uh, offseason or last uh, draft by the San Francisco 49ers, what is the future going to hold for him? Obviously, he's not going to be with the 49ers because they're looking to go with Trey Lance as being their quarterback. Which team which is going to need a quarterback, whether it's going to be the Washington Commanders, whether it's going to be the Miami Dolphins, whether they're going to move, uh, speaking about the Cleveland Browns, they might move on from Baker Mayfield and they'll need a quarterback, whether it's going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers, whether it's going to be the Denver Broncos, whether it's going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, whether it's going to be the Carolina Panthers, it's going to be some teams that are going to be in need of a quarterback. The New Orleans Saints, they're going to be in need of a quarterback. Where exactly is Jimmy Garoppolo if he's truly going to be traded if the uh, appetite is high for the San Francisco 49ers to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. Which one of these teams is he going to fall to if the Broncos or the Panthers or the Saints or the Browns or the Bucks are, are interested in a quarterback? What's going to be happening with Russell Wilson? All of these situations are looming. What's going to be the situation now with Kyler Murray? In Arizona, there was a situation where there were sources coming out about Kyler is immature and he doesn't work hard. And did we hear that with Justin Fields last year? The unnamed sources talking about this guy's not a winner and this guy was a punk and this guy didn't work hard and, and all these types of things. It's, it's always interesting when you hear that mainly about black quarterbacks and not about white quarterbacks and these unfounded, unconfirmed sources say these type of things. I've always, I've always said this. Hey, man, what are we talking about here? What's the definition? Give me the definition. Or what are we talking about when we say this source said? What source are we talking about? I mean, is it some some sources are more reliable and more valuable and more impactful than others? Is the source a disgruntled, uh, a disgruntled worker and in the building that maybe had a bad deal with Kyler Murray and because of that he's going to be talking this type of shit? Are we going to be speaking about someone in the front office? Are we going to be speaking about someone who has a connection to the football team on the football side? Are we speaking about a sales rep who wanted Kyler Murray to do something, but Kyler Murray, as far as going out and shaking hands and kissing babies for the organization, didn't want to do that? So the person who asked him to do that is going to make the assumption that this guy is an egotist and this guy doesn't work hard and this guy is immature. Are we speaking about the general manager? Are we speaking about a player? Are we? What are we? What are? What is the source? Before I start taking into account, this source said that this guy is no good, that this guy is a bum, or this guy has a poor relationship with the organization, or the quarterback is upset and he wants to be traded. Before I go ahead and start taking any of these accusations or any of these rumors with a grain of salt, I have to find out exactly who is the source. Now, I understand in the journalistic uh, field that you're not going to be 
dealing with, you're not going to be revealing your sources, of course, but I'm just interested in finding out, quote unquote, who are these sources and who is reporting these sources. If Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport or, um, or Steve Weish or one of these guys or Chris Mortensen, or if they're reporting this, I might, you know, I might take it with a little bit more seriousness than if I'm reading it off somebody from Twitter or somebody who has a blog or somebody who's speaking about this situation dealing with the Arizona Cardinals who's living in uh, Dallas, Texas, or who's living in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, or, you know, Lewiston, Maine, or something like that. So all of these things will wrap into the, before I start getting into thoughts and opinions about Kyler Murray, is he really upset with the Arizona Cardinals and he's, he really looks going to start looking for a trade and what does that mean for the organization and what does that mean for Cliff Kingsbury and all that kind of stuff before I start getting into all of that I'm just I'm just going to wait a little bit for a little bit things calm down and then after everything that story has been moved on a little bit if it's still going to be around does it still have legs does it still have uh, embers of uh, fire that might ignite in terms of this rumors concerns, so all those things I'm going to I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait a little bit with uh, Deshaun Watson. They're according to ESPN's Jeremy Fowler and Dan Graziano that uh, he reportedly wants to uh, take a look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Minnesota Vikings as trade potential uh, franchises for him. If you know Watson's been out for the entire year because he's dealing with 22 civil lawsuits followed by women accusing him of sexual conduct or sexual assault or sexual misconduct during massage uh, sessions. So I have absolutely no idea. He's also been the subject of 10 police complaints, including two from women who haven't filed lawsuits yet. So with all of this stuff going on, I thought that this was going to be the season where he didn't play, where all of this stuff was going to find some type of resolution or we were going to be near the point where this would be a resolution to all of these lawsuits haven't heard anything, haven't uh, seen anything, haven't read anything. So I don't know. I don't know exactly when is this going to be moving forward. He's basically in limbo. Uh, watch it until all of these things get uh, resolved. So I don't know exactly what's going to be happening in terms of teams who want him. Me being a fan of the Washington Commanders, hell yeah, we could get rid of Daniel Snyder and bring in Deshaun Watson. Man, I'd be dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas and dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie if that could happen. But uh a man can dream, a man can dream. So all of this stuff dealing with the offseason is going to be extremely, extremely interesting. The NFL always captivates our attention. It should be no different this offseason. Some some true meat on the bone to speak about, some, some subjects of consequence when it comes to, or substance when it comes to the NFL, and we still have you know, Dallas and Dak Prescott and what the Dallas Cowboys are doing and we still have what's going to be happening with the Pittsburgh Steelers and all these other things. So the NFL is going to be, <laughs> the NFL ain't going nowhere in terms of our consciousness concerned about what we're talking about. So race up, get ready to go. Enjoy a little break from the NFL because while it never really leaves us, it will leave us just for a quick tab and then we'll be back to talk about it. So, uh, yeah, I guess you could say NFL, speaking, talking about it, giving my opinions. Stay tuned. It's right around the corner.
Last segment of the program, last segment of the podcast, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Right now, it's about 3 o'clock in the morning on February 21st, a Monday. So I'm going to go ahead and cut this short. Just give you a couple of minutes of uh, what I'm thinking and feeling right now. I'm going to go ahead and publish this later on today. So please, thank you very much for listening, downloading, rating, and reviewing, and doing all that you can to uh, help this podcast grow. I very much, very much appreciate it. But um, as I'm recording this, I'm going to be publishing this on February 21st. This is the day in uh, February 21st, 1965, that the global icon, trailblazer Malcolm X, was assassinated by a bunch of thugs from the cult known as the Nation of Islam. Um, when, when we speak about the greatness in people, when we speak about global icons, when we speak about those who have changed society, changed the world for the better, a lot of time we might pay homage to those people for a day, for an hour, sometimes not at all. Sometimes in the classroom, we might go over them for about 15, 20 minutes, and then we move on to something else. And, you know, most of us, me included, don't really take the time or take advantage of what we can learn from those people so we can put it into our toolbox of humanity, into our personality, and to our character so we can use that for good and we can use that to move the society in the positive direction, which I always preach and beg and plead at the beginning of my shows about, you know, doing what we can for the younger generation so they can move forward in the positive direction so they can live in the world where, again, people are judged based on who they are as human beings and their content of their character and what's in their heart and in their morals and not just based solely on the ignorance and the stereotypes in the other uh, st- stupidity which comes with uh, someone's gender, someone's race, or who they love, or their political affiliation, or what part of the world that they're from. I've always tried to take something in terms of the people who I admire, take a personality trait from them or a quality about them, and try to enhance it into what I'm doing as a human being so it can help others move forward. I think with Malcolm X, I think the best thing that we can say about him is the story that Malcolm X, in terms of where he started to where he ended up, is just remarkable. One of the most remarkable stories in the in the history of the world and in the history of this country's um, uh, in the past of this of this country. So there's a great documentary which I've seen many times. I recommend everybody read the autobiography of Malcolm X. But there's also a great documentary called Make It Plain by, uh, which it was on T- a PBS, you can find it on YouTube. I suggest that uh, that must be, must watch in terms of the life of Malcolm X. It's, it's absolutely extraordinary. So that's what I recommend. And that's about all the time I have left to be talking about this. So again, thank you very much for listening to my podcast. Very much appreciated. And look, download, subscribe, rate, review, do all those things. Because if you're going to be listening to this podcast and you're not going to be doing all those things, then you're going to make me angry. And please, man, do not, do not make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Music. Music.